good, super friends. It's your deal, Pepe, representing the West Side, Sundan Park, 575. Here to tell you about our Patreon. Let's go, cruising down the I-10, podcast be bumping, TAC on the mic, the homeboys be nothing, knowledge bombs be dropping like with Stephen Hawking, and the laughs keep coming like with Jimmy Fallon, but you wanna be a homie, VIP, MVP, take the first toke, but it's only $2 so you don't choke, episodes be at free, a week early, gluten free, and of course, no MSGs, hook you up each show with the weekly shout out, send you stickers to Flex in the Walmart checkout. Patreon.com slash technically a conversation. Cheaper than cigarettes at the gasoline station. Patreon.com slash technically a conversation. Link in the show notes. Thank you for your donation. The CIA has had a long and storied history riddled with conspiracy theories, but sometimes those conspiracy theories have proven to be true. MK Ultra, the CIA's attempt at mind control, is one such conspiracy. This conspiracy has it all, from drugging people with LSD to using sex workers and torture to get people to turn. In this episode, we'll discuss some of the CIA's experiments on their quest for mind control and some of the famous names tied to it, how the CIA was responsible for the LSD counterculture that despised it, and how a filing error led to the public uncovering of many of MKUltra's secrets on this episode of Technically a Conversation. You're listening to Technically a Conversation, a podcast where we share an interesting topic or story with each other and hope you find it interesting as well. I'm one half of your host, Jose, and I'm joined today by my lovely co-host, Isela. How are you doing today? Doing pretty awesome. How are you doing? Doing great also. Great. Ready for the holidays? I am very ready, except my mom's gift. I never know what to get her. That's the hardest one. Yeah, for sure. I always struggle to get gifts for the grownups also. Those are always so hard to find something that they're actually going to like. Yeah. What did you get the the fun ones then? What did you get, Adan? Um, oh, well, I guess this will come out after Christmas, right? Yeah. I got him a jacket. <laughs> oh, nice. It was on his wish list and it's actually really nice. So I said, oh, I'll splurge a little bit and get him something nice. Yeah, that's really nice. I got my dad a, a jacket too. The last time I got him a jacket or he actually got a new jacket was because I gave him one. And it was like 12 years ago. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was like, he deserves another jacket. <laughs> Just to change it up. I don't know if you guys do that. Do you guys do that? I know women, we like to change up like our jackets. And sometimes, I don't know, we just like different colors even, you know. Maybe you should try and get a new hoodie every year. Oh, hoodie's the new jacket. That's my jacket pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we live in El Paso, so I don't blame you. <laughs> Yeah, I think they were saying on the news today that it was going to be 70 degrees on Christmas Day, so. Wow. Thanks, global warming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? A few days ago when it was in the 20s at night, that's way too cold. Fuck that. I really did like it, though, just because I knew we don't have that many days like that. It felt like, I don't know, I was like in the mountains and I don't know. It felt really nice. Mm-mm. You can keep your 20 degree temperature. I don't want it. <laughs> fucking returning that shit. <laughs> right? <laughs> Immediately. Yeah. <laughs> what does your family usually do for the holidays? Thanksgiving, we used to do a dinner type of thing at 
my mom's, but as of the last couple of years, it's been at my brother's house. And Christmas, though, for sure, it's always at my parents' house. Oh, nice. So it's really nice. And then New Year's is the same thing. We don't really like to go anywhere else. And we'll just kind of bring all the booze to my parents' house. And my dad's usually busting out the shots early in the evening just to make <laughs> just to make it more, you know, entertaining. <laughs> no, that's always fun. Yeah. What about you? Uh, we usually spend the eves with my dad. So Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve with my dad and the days with my mom. That sounds really nice. And then the recalentada for Thanksgiving, we usually do it at my sister's. But actually this year, everybody in my dad's household had COVID. So we yeah. actually spent it at my sister's. So that was that was a lot of fun. It was a it was a good change of pace. And um, I want to say last year also, I think they were sick. They I think they, they just had like the flu or something. So the past two Thanksgivings, we spent them at my sister's. Oh, that's really nice. So too, because like you said, it's a nice change of pace. Yeah. You definitely don't want to get sick. <laughs> Nobody wants that. No, hell no. <laughs> Still to this day, I think I'm the only person who hasn't gotten COVID yet. And I want to keep it that way. <laughs> I, I know. Knock on wood. I also have never had COVID. Our friend Brenda also has never gotten COVID. Oh, nice. So, so there's three of us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say Jen hasn't either, the Jenster. So there's there's a few, yeah. Yeah, no, I was kidding. Yeah, my brother hasn't gotten it either. There's there's a few of us. We're a rare breed. Indeed. <laughs> I think it's also because we just ate like crazy, you know, like crazy little wild animal, like feral animals when we were growing up. <laughs> the immunity that's built in. True. I also don't leave my house, so I think that helps to contribute to keep me safe and healthy. I am hardly at my house. That I do know. I always get the sent message from my car or whatever. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. It's uh, my car is like really chismosa. I'm like, damn it. If I could turn that stupid thing off. You can't turn it off because my brother's car used to do that same thing too. And he said that was the first thing that I disabled on my car. I don't know how to do that other than just disconnecting my Bluetooth, but I want to listen to my music. So no, there's a setting you can go to and, and disable that. Mm, you know me and technology. That's only if you don't want your car to tell on you. Tattletale. Yes, please tell me. <laughs> we'll have a whole powwow after, or uh, we'll have a whole meeting after this. All right. <laughs> Very important question. Are you participating in the Taylor Swift challenge this year? I guess not, because I don't even know what the Taylor Swift challenge is. Oh my God, Isela, you're kidding, right? <laughs> I really think you don't know your best friend, Isela, that well. <laughs> well, let me tell you. Okay. Taylor Swift <laughs> is a huge cat lover and animal rescues is asking for people to donate $13 to an animal rescue shelter as part of the challenge. The reason I know that you know this, but for those of you that don't know why it's $13, it's because that's Tay Tay's favorite number. I learned that from the news. <laughs> the challenge I think is really sweet and doesn't involve eating Tide Pods or putting super glue in your hair or anything <laughs> stupid like that. Right. So. I'm actually going to be participating. <gasps> You're a bigger Swifty than I am. Look at this. How the tables have turned. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh, that's really cool. I didn't know that they were doing that. That's a beautiful challenge. $13 doesn't seem like much. That's nothing. Yeah. And what I'll do is I'll actually put a link to the Animal Rescue League of El Paso in the show notes. Oh. If anyone wants to participate. That's wonderful. Of course, you're welcome to donate to your local Animal Rescue League as well. Yes. And the real Swifties are challenged with adopting a cat. So I'm assuming you're adopting 13 of them, right? 
I'm allergic, so I think not. <laughs> You're not a real Taylor Swift fan, Isela. <laughs> you wouldn't die for her, <laughs> for her challenge. <laughs> Would you kill for Taylor Swift, Isela? <laughs> I think it's going to kill me, actually. <laughs> You're kidding me. <laughs> right, enough fucking around. Ready to get started? Yes. <laughs> Great. Let's get started. Right, so these questions might be triggering, so you can choose to decline to answer any of them. Have you ever volunteered or agreed to do something and it ended up being either misrepresented or completely different than what you had agreed to? I feel like I have. I remember joking and saying, I feel lied to, but I don't remember what the situation was. Do you remember if you ended up going through with it or did you refuse to do it? No, I remember going through with it. But I remember thinking, like, that's not what they said, kind of thing. I just, fuck, I can't remember what the heck it was. All right. Well, since today is New Year's, what better way than to kick off the new year than with a top secret government program? Oh. Some people volunteered for it willingly. Others were tricked into it. Some people were coerced into it, or it was done to them without their consent or knowledge. The following is from a History.com article by Brianna Nofil, an NPR article by Terry Gross, a Big Think article by Scotty Hendricks, go Scotty, and a Guardian article by Stephen Kinzer. Links in the show notes. I love Terry Gross. Do you know who that is? Yeah, I listen to Fresh Air all the time. <laughs> oh, okay. There you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in April of 1953, just when the Korean War was coming to an end, the New York Times published a story alleging that American POWs returning to the United States might have been converted by communist brainwashing. Some soldiers were confessing to war crimes like germ warfare against the communists, a charge the U.S. adamantly denied. Alan Duels, the newly appointed director of the CIA, called this presumed mind control brain warfare and described it as being an effective but abhorrent and nefarious brain perversion technique. Convinced, the CIA began an abhorrent and nefarious brain perversion technique of their own, a secret program called MKUltra was developed to find mind-controlled drugs the government could weaponize against their enemies. It was so secretive that for many years, its existence was thought of as being only a conspiracy theory, something only nutjobs like Alex Jones, Elon Musk, or Joe Rogan would promote. But as thorough as the government was at covering this up, some evidence surfaced that confirmed its existence and the extent the government went through to weaponize mind control. So this is what we're going to talk about this week. But before we do, are you familiar with MKUltra? I am. Well, I'm familiar with MKUltra. I've not taken LSD or anything like that, but I am familiar with MKUltra. I actually had that on my list of topics as well. Oh, nice. Because I love, I mean, it's, yeah, it's going to be great. I'm excited already. <laughs> <laughs> so since it was on your list, what do you know about MKUltra? I know that it was a inside job. It was secret. Uh, I do know that it was given to people and there's like footage of it. And people are like, you can't see this purple. <laughs> like this one guy with glasses is like shocked. Nobody else could see this stuff. Anyway, it, I know a little bit, but yeah, I, I thought it was pretty fascinating that, that this happened and nobody knew. And it's crazy. Again, government doing shady shit on, you know, using us as guinea pigs. <laughs> That is definitely what happened. And listeners of this podcast are no strangers to the governments and specifically the CIA's fuckery and tomfoolery. Also, I don't think I've ever said tomfoolery before, 
So I'm pretty excited about that. (laughs) (laughs) We talked about how the CIA used Filipino folklore and legend against them in our episode about the Aswang for you Gen Zetters who like podcasts referencing past episodes. With MKUltra, the CIA experimented on its own American people, some of them tortured out of their fucking minds. Mm -hmm. And of course, there were deaths. I don't think you can mention the CIA without acknowledging innocent people being murdered. That's just how they roll, baby. And covered up, too. And covered up. And the way that this was discovered is actually very fascinating also. Through the 1950s, Americans were terrified and fascinated with the concept of brainwashing, both by propaganda that, that was being disseminated by the CIA and newspapers that kept covering stories of brainwashed GIs returning from China, Korea, and the Soviet Union. Alan Dules, who was the first civilian director of the CIA, had told attendees at conferences and meetings that the U.S. was at a severe disadvantage when it came to mind control because the communists were using non-ethical, non-consensual experiments on their enemies. Two things that went not only against American values, but also human values. Put a pin on that. Uh-oh. Also, I, I thought it was kind of strange that he made a distinction between American and human values. Yeah. That's kind of weird, right? Well, not really, because American values might be looser type of thing. Whereas human values, you know, it's like the whole human rights in China, unfortunately, and or lack thereof. <laughs> you know what I mean? I guess I never really thought about it that way. Yeah, like there's human values, what everybody should get and deserve or whatever. And then there's American. Does everybody get it? No, not really. That's where that goes. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. I didn't really think about it that way. I think because I'm jaded. <laughs> I think when I read it, I think he was he was saying that he put American values above human values. Like if the values of, of an American went above what a regular human's values would be, if that makes sense. Mm, yeah. Kind of like a superiority complex. Oh, yeah. Well, there's definitely a lot of that, too. Especially now. Oh, God. Yes. Well, it's just as yeah bad as it was in the 50s. <laughs> Sadly, you're, you're probably right. So Duels described the POWs returning from Korea as shells of the men they once were. He questioned whether the men were being brainwashed with chemical agents, hypnosis, or something else entirely. The uncertainty in what method was being used is what brought him fear. Newspaper headlines of that time usually read, New evil seed in brainwashing, and brainwashing versus Western psychiatry, and mentioned sensationalized accounts of mind control techniques and technology that no man could resist. Books such as The Manchurian Candidate and The Naked Lunch made mind control part of American culture and also made unhinged scientists and political conspiracies seem normal. American propaganda that demonized and vilified socialism and communism as backwards political ideology also made Americans think that the communists had to have been using brainwashing techniques not just on their enemies, but their own people. That's the only way they could explain how so many people could be on board with socialistic views, which I think it's kind of fucked up to think that the only way people could possibly think of someone other than themselves is if they were being brainwashed. Yeah. Well, I think in that particular time is really like, if you're against us, you must have been brainwashed type of thing. You know, it could be anything, you know, like what? You don't eat babies. And that means (laughs) you're brainwashed (laughs) like anything. I think it could have been. (laughs) True. And there really was a big red scare during that time. There was. Yeah. 
So three days after condemning Soviet mind control tactics, Duels approved the start of MKUltra, a top-secret CIA program to covertly use biological and chemical agents in the agency's Cold War agenda. Their experiments generally revolved around behavior modification via electroshock therapy, hypnosis, polygraphs, radiation, drugs, toxins, and chemicals. Jeez. Volunteers for these experiments were obtained in one of three ways. People who volunteered freely, such as people who were incarcerated, who volunteered in exchange for reduced sentences or extra Mm. recreation time. Mm. Those who were tricked into participating, like American soldiers and those that had no idea what was happening, like students at a state school for mentally impaired boys, sexual psychopaths at a state hospital, or any vulnerable members of society the CIA could prey on. At least 86 universities and institutes were involved in the acquiring of test subjects and administration of the experiments. So as you can see, everything was completely ethical and above board. I have no notes. (laughs) (laughs) So 86 locations. Did it say how many per location? It just says that at least 86 university and institutions were involved in acquiring this test subjects. Those are just the 86 that we know. Jeez Louise. And we'll discuss why we don't know so much later. I got to create the suspense first. Absolutely. I'm for it. (laughs) So one of the first drugs the CIA experimented with, and probably the one that MKUltra is best known for, is LSD. In the late 1940s, the CIA received intel that the Soviet Union was using LSD for interrogations and that the Soviets were attempting to buy up the world supply of LSD. Since so little was known about LSD at the time in the U.S., the CIA was terrified at the prospect. At the time, it became an obsession for early CIA directors and scientists, specifically those who headed up the MKUltra program. So much so that in an attempt to beat the Soviets at their own game, the CIA paid $240,000 in 1953 to buy the entire world's supply of LSD. Oh my goodness. Wow, how greedy. <laughs> CIA chemist Sidney Gottlieb, remember that name, is the person credited with bringing LSD to America and the unwitting godfather of the entire LSD counterculture. And in case you were wondering, $240,000 in 1953 money is close to $2.8 million in 2023 monies, according to our old friend, the inflation calculator. Oh, wow. I guess I really thought it was going to be a lot more, to be honest. Only $2 million to buy up the entire world supply of LSD. But also keep in mind, it's 1953, so I don't think a lot of people were fucking with LSD back then. That's true. Yeah, that's a good point. Also, what would you do with $2.8 million worth of LSD, Isela? Nothing. I, nothing. <laughs> I wouldn't even want to take one. Like, sadly, I could be so boring. I could throw parties, but I wouldn't take it. <laughs> well, if you were Gottlieb, what he started doing was spreading it around to hospitals, clinics, prisons, and other institutions. He posed as bogus foundations that would ask their institutions to carry out research to determine what LSD was, how it affected people, and how it might be used for mind control. People who volunteered for these experiments began taking LSD and in many cases found the experience very pleasurable. So they started telling their friends about it. Some of the most notable people that helped spread the word about LSD 
or Ken Cassie or Casey, who was the author of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Robert Hunter, the lyricist for a little known band called The Grateful Dead. Ever heard of them? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and of course, Allen Ginsberg, who was a poet, activist, and counterculturist that preached the virtues of LSD. He was a beat poet. Yep. All three got their first LSD hits from Sidney Gottlieb. The great irony is that the drug the CIA was most hopeful could be used to control humanity actually wound up fueling a generation of rebellion that was dedicated to destroying everything the CIA stood for. John Lennon once stated in an interview while mocking the CIA, quote, we must always remember to thank the CIA and the army for LSD. That's what people forget. They invented LSD to control people, and what they did was give us freedom. Yeah, they were essentially raising little anarchists. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think if anything, it just made people think outside of the box and see how constrained they were, especially by the government. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And everybody had this like cookie cutter view of like what success was going to be and go to school and whatever. And then that one big person, I think in Stanford, once he started <laughs> saying stuff like, like, you know, drop in and drop out or I don't know what else he was saying something. I was like, oh no, it sounds wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh I was trying to remember who that was. Was that Ellen Ginsberg, the one that said that? No, it wasn't Ellen Ginsberg. It was another, uh, it was a professor. Uh, I had watched a documentary a long time ago and they fired him right away. They were like, no, that's not what we stand for. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Well, actually, uh, Stanford was kind of responsible for some of the dissemination of LSD as well. Yeah. A lot of experiments that were uh, not the greatest. <laughs> they also had that, um, that's. Uh, psychology experiment too in Stanford, which is kind of crazy, but still a very reputable school. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let that deter you, people. <laughs> yeah, and actually, Ken Kesey, uh, the author of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, he was a student at Stanford when he when he volunteered for the LSD experiment. Oh, <laughs> see how crazy. So when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the experiments the CIA conducted and why MK Ultra was finally shut down. Ooh. Hi, this is Dakota, host of ContraZoom Pod, where we go back and forth about film. I am obsessed with movies. I could talk about them all day. If you're like me, then you'll love my podcast. Every week we take a new topic, whether it's ranking a director's filmography, covering major film festivals, or getting way into Oscar season. While every week is different, we do have some recurring topics, like our Make Remake series looking at an original film and its remake, or our very popular A History Of program, taking an in-depth look, looking at some of the biggest companies involved in film, including Criterion, A24, and Neon. It isn't all super serious topics, though, as we always need to play catch-up with all the hottest Marvel Cinematic Universe news and general pop culture goings-on. There's something for every kind of movie lover, whether you want reviews, interviews, or in-depth conversations. ContraZoom Pod is found on all podcatcher apps and visit ContraZoomPod.com for even more information. If you like all things spooky, then check out A Spooky Tales, hosted by us, Christina and MJ, where we talk about all things spooky, paranormal stories, haunted places, myths, and legends. 
listen to guests tell us their scary stories. And I hear them call me by, by my name. So I run into the kitchen to check and there's nobody there. And I start to like hear like my closet door start to open. Oh, hell no. Like, oh, my God. Inside. Oh, hell no. All of a sudden, for no reason, I woke up in the middle of the night. Like my eyes just snapped open. And it's that strange feeling that you have when something wakes you up. You and you don't know what has woken you up until you either see what it was or you hear whatever it was. There are new episodes every Friday. Listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts, as well as at SpookyTales.com. Did you do any LSD during our break, Isela? <laughs> it's barely kicking in, bro. Just kidding. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I don't. I I really don't think that sounds, it just doesn't sound pleasurable. It doesn't sound fun. What about your dog? It looked like your dog was kind of an LSD during the break. <laughs> <laughs> my, my dog was all up in my shit. I was like, get out of here. I'm trying to record. She wanted to be part of it. She wanted to be like, you know, like smelling really hardcore or something. I don't know. I think your dog is the official fourth member of this podcast. She really is. Yeah. She wants to be part of it. She wants to feel like a super friend and a host. She wants her voice heard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what are your thoughts so far about MK Ultra, not your dog? My, <laughs> thank you for clarifying that. I think it's... I mean, we're like I had said before, I think it's really fucked up the pretenses that they were told, you know, reduce sentences and stuff like that. Because and I understand that they have to see what it does. And, you know, nobody really knew at the time, which I completely get. But I think they should have said that. Hey, we don't know what this does. So are you sure you want to go forward with it? You know, like, just be up front and... I, I highly doubt that's what happened, you know, clearly. So I have to say a lot of music and a lot of arts that came out of it. I'm, Beatles, Lucy in the Sky with Diamond. Like there's a lot of great that came out of it as a result, I guess, of some trips that people went on, <laughs> <laughs> metaphorically speaking. But I just think the way it was discovered was a little messed up, you know. Yeah. And I think there's a big difference also between doing it willingly or doing it against your will, or, or not being told what you're taking. Absolutely. I think you want to know 100% what you could possibly be getting into. Yeah, for sure. And what were your thoughts on Paulo Abdul? <laughs> <laughs> I really like Paula Abdul, like, to be honest. Well, her music. I'm going to go with her music. I don't really know much about her as a person, other than, like, I don't know if it was a lot of work around her mouth that she got done. But when she was on one of those judging shows like America's Got Talent or American Idol, one of those, I couldn't understand her. I don't know if it was drugs or if she was just like all these lip injections. I don't really know. It was really rough. I think I had heard uh, actually on, on Michael Rosenbaum's podcast, I think she was in some type of accident or something, which is why she was away from the limelight. Mm. I want to say it was a plane accident, but I might be wrong. But um, she never, she didn't even know if she was going to be able to walk again. <gasps> oh, 
that's so sad. Yeah, so that's why she stopped dancing and, you know, doing music and all that. Can you imagine what kind of depression she must have gone into? That was her life was dancing. Well, I guess singing a little bit, but mostly dancing. Yeah, I think she started leading the L.A. Lakers cheerleaders or, or whatever when she was still in high school. Oh, I thought you were going to say she was a fly girl. But I think I'm thinking of J-Lo, right? I think she was a fly girl. Yeah, I think the fly girls were um, not color me bad. What was it? Uh, in living color? In living color. Yeah. I know that's something that something to do with color. Yeah, but the the famous singer that started out there is Jennifer Lopez. Yeah, I think it was Jennifer Lopez. And then Paula Abdul started with the Lakers. And then there was a brief Jackson 5 reunion. So she choreographed that. Oh, wow. And after that, she, um, well, she said yesterday in Wheel of Fortune that she um, choreographed a lot of egomaniacal genius, geniuses uh, concerts. <laughs> oh, I wonder who she's talking about. <laughs> I don't know, but I, I just thought that was really funny to hear her say that. Yeah, there's. I mean, once you've made it so big, I feel everybody eventually becomes a little bit like an egomaniac. Yeah, I think after we released our third podcast, I became an egomaniac as well. So <laughs> <laughs> it went straight to your head. The two people that recognize us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So we mentioned Ken Cassie before our break, uh, the author of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. He had initially volunteered for the experiments like we had mentioned while he was a student in Stanford. Some of these experiments were later worked into his book. So to say that it was an inspiration might be an understatement. He was so attracted to the use of psychedelics that he went on to host acid tests at his home, helping to introduce LSD to the counterculture. <laughs> I don't think we could call them tests. I mean, they're just like acid parties, right? <laughs> Let's be real. Maybe he thought... We're experimenting with LSD. Yes. They're still testing everybody. Exactly. <laughs> Ted Kaczynski. Remember that crazy son of a bitch? Oh, my God. How did he get involved in this? <laughs> <laughs> well, for those that don't know, he's better known by his infamous nickname of the Unabomber. Old Teddy was experimented on as part of MKUltra when he participated in a series of experiments while at Harvard. Allegedly, he was <sighs> verbally abused and had his personal beliefs belittled by an attorney as part of the experiment. There are several sources that claim this, but there isn't definitive evidence. And um, again, I'll share with you why later as I continue to build suspense. Okay. Organized crime boss, James Whitey Bulger. You familiar <gasps> with that guy? Yeah, yeah. He was in Alcatraz. He was. And before he was in Alcatraz, he was a test subject while he was an inmate in the Atlanta Penitentiary and wrote about his experience as being a living nightmare. Oh, no. He stated that he and eight other convicts were in a panic and paranoid state. They had a total loss of appetite while they hallucinated the room changing shapes, blood coming out of the walls, guys turning into skeletons in front of his eyes, and a camera mm. changing into a dog's head, which is kind of cute. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what you're saying is this is also a weight loss drug. Awesome. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> You do not need any weight loss drugs, Isela. No, I don't. Not for me. I feel like everybody else wants that crazy Ozempic drug. So there you go, people. It might be easier <laughs> to obtain than Ozempen or whatever that whatever the hell that thing is called. Yeah, Ozempic, I think, or something like that. But again, we are not saying anybody should do either of those. <laughs> no, not at all. Okay, so all the while, everyone was paranoid and feeling violent. Bulger was one of the people that were tricked into taking LSD. He had been given LSD every day for more than a year. 
but he was told that it was an experimental drug aimed at finding a cure for schizophrenia. He later realized that this had nothing to do with schizophrenia and was a government experiment to see if they could make a person lose their mind by feeding them LSD for prolonged periods of time. He said he was in jail for committing a crime, but the government committed a greater crime on him. He thought that he was going insane and had confided with friends that he was going to find a doctor in Atlanta that was the head of the experiment and kill him. That's pretty fucking metal if you ask me. I I think he just wanted it to be over. Oh my goodness. Imagine that shit being drugged every single day for more than a year. That sounds absolutely atrocious. As if being in prison isn't bad enough. Here, let's throw this on top of that. Dude, no way. And this guy was like a big crime boss too. He was part of like the Irish mafia or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I got to read a couple of his letters. There's a there's a whole thing in in a, a museum in Las Vegas, which who goes to museums in Las Vegas, right? I do. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they have like a whole bunch of, of memorabilia of his, but I'm like every day? And then each trip is some, I don't know, like six hours. I've had friends that have taken that shit and they were still tripping balls after like two weeks or something. Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> how much did they do? That one, I don't even want to know. <gasps> That's wild. Oh, how awful. One of my favorite experiments has a really fun name, Isala. It's called Operation Midnight Climax. Oh. Did you want to take a guess at why it's called that? I don't know. I feel like I've been on that operation a couple of times. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Okay. (laughs) We got jokes, people. Calm down. Calm down. (laughs) Okay. Why did they? Because they were probably doing it in secret at night or something. I think the climax is a big part of that. Okay. (laughs) Tell me. Right. So this experiment was overseen by a man named George White, who had previously worked in the Federal Bureau of Narcotics. What he did was turn a room at 225 Chestnut Street in San Francisco, California into a sex lair, complete with bugging equipment and a two-way mirror. Oh my God. White sat behind the two-way mirror with his martini in one hand while sex workers would bring in men who would then be drugged with LSD and they would have sex with them. I'm assuming that White had something else in his free hand, but that's just my guess. Maybe I'm projecting. <laughs> <laughs> And it's not a pen, people. (laughs) It was a taking notes. (laughs) White would pay the sex workers with a small amount of money, as well as a promise that he would intercede if the women had run-ins with law enforcement in the future. The main breakthrough that came out of those experiments was that information could best be extracted from a source immediately after sex. I feel like I could have told him that. Also, I think this is where... It crosses the line of abusing your power. Really? Through sex? You really think like, you know what I mean? Now he just want, he just wanted to be a cochino. He wanted to be a cochino and watch people have sex. Hey, that's your thing? Okay, fine. I'm not like kink shaming anybody, but don't lie to them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oy. Well, as a result of the MKUltra experiment with the sex workers, the CIA actually started shifting their focus a little as they started researching the effects of the sex workers rather than the effects of the LSD. They started figuring out how they could train and work with the sex workers to extract information from clients and how they could handle government secrets. And a lot of this change in focus did have to do with White's voyeurism. Like you said, he is kind of a perv. Mm. White confessed in an interview, quote, 
I toiled wholeheartedly in the vineyards because it was fun, fun, fun. Where else could a red-blooded American boy lie, kill, cheat, steal, rape, and pillage with the sanction and blessing of the all-highest? Oh, gosh. And when you look at a picture of George White, he totally looks like what you would imagine someone who would say something like that would look like. Oh, my goodness. Not surprised. I imagine his voice sounding like Otto from Beetlejuice, and he kind of looks like him a little, too. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. That quote is is pretty revolting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Says a lot about his character. And that was my best Otto from Beetlejuice impression. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was well done. It was well done. When I saw the <laughs> fun, 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 I was like, okay, I've got to try and do some type of voice for this. <laughs> for sure. It goes well with that. Oh, what a dirtbag. The CIA would also experiment on themselves and give each other LSD without the other person's knowledge. And there is actually a very controversial case that could warrant its own episode. And that's the story of Frank Olson. Are you familiar with this case? Yeah, this is the one where he was pushed out of a window versus whatever. That is it. So let me give the cliff notes of it for those that might not be familiar with this case. And there are actually so many conspiracy theories attached to just this one case. Two CIA agents were staying in a Manhattan hotel when suddenly somebody fell down to their death. Initially, it was believed to be suicide, but a lot of things didn't make sense. Like why a jumper would jump out of a closed window with the shade and currents drawn in their underwear if it was a suicide. It was later discovered that our old pal, Sidney Gottlieb, had drugged a group of CIA agents with LSD while at a retreat a few days before without anyone's consent. Olson was particularly disturbed by this. Five days later, Olson was still having negative side effects from the LSD. Five days? Oh my goodness. And I believe the proper terminology was that he was tripping balls, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a technical term, yeah. yeah. Prior to this experience, he had spoken openly with other agents and his wife that he was disturbed with his work and wanted to quit. These comments, the fact that he knew all the CIA secrets and the weirdness with the suicide and make people believe that he might have been murdered. And there are other things like the other CIA agent in the room called a number in Long Island shortly after Olsen died. There was a blow to the front of Olsen's head when he had landed on his back. There was no glass shards on Olsen's head or neck, which would be consistent with somebody jumping through a window. The family even exhumed the body to conduct further tests, and the White House lawyers paid the Olsen family $750,000 in 1975 if they agreed not to sue. That's so sad. It is. And that would be $4.3 million in 2023 money. Wow! And that's not even touching half of the weirdness with this one case alone. I could have done a whole episode just on this one person, but just to give you all a, a taste. Yeah. I, I find that super suspicious. Same. It makes a whole lot of sense that he was killed, murdered, because if he knew that he was not doing ethical things and he was one of the few people that actually had a conscience, then he was like telling his wife, like you said, hey, I don't think this is right. I got to get out of here. Of course, his house or his whatever is going to be bugged. And they were like, oh, so he's got, he's got to die. Frank's got to die. Yeah. And I think they were saying that there was also like two beds and a table that he would have had to have run across to break through the glass. 
So they're like, yeah, it, it's it's not possible, especially if he was still like tripping out. He had to have been pushed. That's so awful. Wow. MK Ultra wasn't just sex with prostitutes and tripping balls on LSD with the boys. You know, actually, now that I hear myself saying that, that actually sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> fun, fun, fun. Fun, fun, fun. <laughs> anyway, MK Ultra wasn't just all fun and games. Gottlieb pretty much had a license to kill and had little to no supervision. He was allowed to request human guinea pigs from all over the United States and subject them to any kind of abuse he wanted. No one looked over his shoulder, even if the abuse proved to be fatal to his subjects. Gottlieb and the CIA set up secret detention centers throughout Europe, Asia, Japan, Germany, and the Philippines throughout the 1950s so Gottlieb didn't have to worry about any pesky legal entanglements. CIA officers in Europe and Asia captured enemy agents, people suspected of being enemies, and anyone they would otherwise deem to be expendable for Gottlieb's torture fun factory. Some of the mind control techniques tested included electroshock, temperature extremes, sensory deprivation, and all sorts of drug potions, all the while bombarding them with questions, trying to break their resistance and destroying the human ego. This earned Gottlieb the notorious distinction of being the most prolific torturer of his generation. That's awful. <laughs> that is awful. And he was given the green light all legally. Yeah. And he had no supervision. <sighs> That's just freaking nuts. It's so crazy that that was happening in America. But why let Americans have all the fun, right? MKUltra was pretty much a continuation of work that had been carried out in Japanese and Nazi concentration camps. So the CIA hired the torturers, scientists, and vivisectionists that had worked in Japanese and Nazi concentration camps so they could continue their work and build on their research. Do you know what a vivisectionist is? No, I was going to ask you. <laughs> it's a person that cuts open living animals or people for experimental purposes. During Auschwitz, these surgeries took place with no anesthesia. Oh my goodness. I learned that from Slayer. So these are the types of people the CIA was excited to work with. Some contributions that these Japanese and Nazi doctors were able to make were experimenting with mescaline to see if that was the key to mind control and gassing their test subjects with poisonous gases such as sarin to see how long it took people to die. All in a day's work, I guess, right? Dude, it's a really sad history for sure. This is so awful, huh? It is atrocious. Did any of this nonsense work? Great question, Isela. <laughs> Not really. Some of the drugs were found to make test subjects more suggestible or pliable, but none of this resulted in the truth serum or reliable torture devices, let alone mind control that the CIA wanted. Sidney Gottlieb would later go on to say that his entire effort was useless and failed to satisfy anybody. However, some elements of his program were repurposed and have found a new life in torture regimes that focus on psychological torment. Jeez. I wonder if any of them were used by Ron DeSantis during his time at Guantanamo Bay. Probably. I would not be surprised. But there is some good news, however. After the failed MKUltra project, Gottlieb went on to lead a CIA program that created poisons and high-tech gadgets for spies. Happy ending, right? No, <laughs> he should not be leading anything. Lord. Yeah, no, I agree. At a minimum, the project violated the Nuremberg Codes, which were agreed to by the United States after the trials of Nazi war criminals, 
that forbid administering drugs without informed consent. At least two people died as a result of being drugged without consent. The true death toll, psychological damage, and suicides attributed to MKUltra will never be known. In 1973, CIA Director Richard Helms ordered all documents related to MKUltra be destroyed. The little that we do know about it was from 20,000 pages that were misfiled and survived the document purge. The documents were discovered in 1977, and Senator Edward Kennedy oversaw congressional hearings to examine the records. As a result, Presidents Ford, Carter, and even Reagan issued orders banning all future human experimentation without consent by government agencies, and some restitution was paid to those that were harmed by the tests. Can you believe that? Had these pages not been misfiled, we would have never known about any of this. Sadly, I really can believe that. And what's even more fucked up is they knew that this was very just wrong on all levels. It's illegal. It's immoral. So they were like, let's get rid of all the evidence. And I mean, that should never be a thing. Let's get rid of all the evidence. I mean, how about we just make amends? Shit. How about we say, hey, we were wrong. That's okay. It's okay to say that too, you know? Yeah, definitely. Jesus. And I'm sure that some stories would have come out, but we wouldn't have any evidence. That's kind of like the whole thing with Ted Kaczynski. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't have any evidence that he was involved. There's just a story that he was involved. That's interesting. I wonder if that's what made him kind of go crazy with bombing all the the, uh, the universities and stuff like that. I have heard that that's a, a theory, that that made him go crazy. Mm, yeah. All right. But again, we don't have definitive evidence. Damn it. That's what we live off of. Yeah. Look, can you imagine 20,000 pages? How long were these fucking documents, these records, if 20,000 pages somehow were, were completely missed? That's insane. 86 locations. That's a lot of locations. And I'm pretty sure it wasn't just two people each. You know what I mean? Yeah, no. And I'm sure that there were probably hundreds more, but those are the only ones that are named in those 20,000 pages. Right. Yeah. Oh, God. That's pretty despicable. Any final thoughts? I mean, on the bright side, like I said, you know, we had some really good art that came out of it. <laughs> so I got to keep focusing on that. Other than that, that's all I have to add. <laughs> so a, a fun, fun, fun episode to start out the new year, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. This is why you should trust your father. <laughs> I think that's why there should always be oversight to ensure that things like this never happened. Checks and balances is a real and needed thing, for sure. Definitely. Another thing that's needed is our special shout out to our super homie, super friends, Sophia and Natasha. Yay! If you want to help support the show, get the episodes a week early and ad-free, get your name shouted out at the end of the show, and get some stickers from us a few times a year, check us out at patreon.com slash technically a conversation, or check the show notes. Yeah, yeah. Best of all, it's only $2 a month. You can't even buy cigarettes, let alone LSD for that. <laughs> <laughs> Neither of which we are uh, proponents of or advocates of. <laughs> no. And since we're not advocating, we hope that you enjoy the show and you join us again next week. If you're enjoying the show, leave us a review, tell a friend, and subscribe wherever fine podcasts are sold. Yeah, yeah. Follow us on the socials at GreetingsTAC, email us at GreetingsTAC at gmail.com, or 
leave us a voicemail at 915-317-6669. If you have an LSD story to share (laughs) with us. No lie, I would really like to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) You heard the lady. Send it in. Send it in, people. (laughs) That's right. Step. (laughs) We'll change your name. (laughs) Oh, yeah. We'll we'll use um, AI to disguise your voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. You will now be anonymous. We'll call you Larry from Wyoming. (laughs) (laughs) Because I live in the Northeast. Sorry, guys. (laughs) Oh, is that the wind? (laughs) No. It was a motorcycle. Oh, somebody overcompensating like my... Scary Bedtime Stories trailer. But, yeah. <laughs> Someone with a little pee-pee. Aww.